Names are important. Your name is fundamental to who you are. It is part of your central identity. And there's a certain power that is wielded in a name. A famous American writer once said that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. And think about this. One of the reasons we name a child after a grandparent or a hero or a biblical figure is uh, that we pray that that child lives up to the character of their namesake. So there's a connection between a name and the very character of that individual. And in the Bible, we see that when a person's character changes, their name will often change, right? Think of Abram and Sarai. When the personal character of Abram and Sarai changed, they were called Abraham and Sarah. They were given a new name. And think of Simon, Jesus calls him to himself and renames him Peter. And even Saul, after his conversion on the Damascus Road, his new name was Paul. And yet when it comes to our triune God, his name does not change. And yet his holy name reflects his personal Character, his very self. And the name of God that is given to Moses is a sacred name because it is the personal name. It is the personal name of our triune God. Moses says this to God in Exodus 3, verse 13. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God replies to Moses and discloses his name, and God says this, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This holy name that God reveals to Moses, it reveals to us the very character of our living and true God. It reveals his eternity and his omnipotence, the I am that I am. God simply is. He is not confined to space and time like you and I are confined to space and time. God has always existed and God exists in and of himself and that is revealed in his name. He is not dependent on anything or anyone for his existence. And when God discloses his personal name, his covenantal name, he discloses this transcendent reality that he is creator of all things and that he holds us in the palm of his hand. God's name reveals his very character. And as Christians, we are those who are called to bear God's name in all that we do. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians chapter three, verse 13. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, we who are united to Christ and who are given the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in the sacrament of baptism, we are those whom the triune name is placed upon each Lord's Day as we receive the benediction of our triune God. And as we receive that name, we are commissioned to go out into the world and to testify to that name, to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As Christians, we bear the name of our holy God as those who have been set apart, those who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are ambassadors of God's holy name as we are in this world and yet not of it. And so when we declare to others, when we say, I am a Christian, I believe in God the Father Almighty, we are declaring that we bear witness to a divine name, a name that transcends our earthly name. And it is at this name, the name of Jesus, as we've just sung, that every knee must bow and every tongue confess. And it is before this name that everyone will give an account on the last day. We read in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 7 this evening, that God's holy name must not be profaned. And as we've been understanding, as we've been going through the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, we, we, we understand that behind every do not, there is a do. There's a positive correlation. And as the Westminster Standards helpfully show us, as we confessed Tonight, there are, there are duties that are required and there are things that are forbidden in each of these 10 words. And so God's law, his moral law, it teaches us how to live as his little children. And the third use of God's law, according to our Reformed tradition, is that we obey God's law because Christ dwells in our hearts. We obey God's law not because we are saved according to our deeds. No, we obey God's law because in our union with Christ, we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And our obedience to God's law, we we have to affirm that it is spirit wrought. It's something that the Holy Spirit brings about in our hearts. And so only when the Spirit is at work in you can you trust and obey God. But you and I do participate in this Spirit-wrought work. We're we're not robots, right? As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, we work out our salvation. We work it out with fear and trembling. So we have a part to play in this. And yet as Paul goes on to say, it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it is ultimately God. He is the one who hastens our feet to walk in the paths of righteousness. Now as we consider this third word uh, from God this evening, here is the central focus. God calls us 
to revere and honor his name, not only in word, but also in deed. God calls us to revere and honor his name in both how we speak and how we live. And we are to honor and revere the name of God that has been placed upon us in our union with Christ. And when we understand this, we discover a connection between these, uh, the first three commandments. The first word is about covenantal idolatry, right? Who will you serve? Will you worship the, the one true and living God or, or false gods? And the second word is about liturgical idolatry. How will you serve God? Will you worship God according to his standards or according to human innovation? And this third word is about practical idolatry. Will you be true to the name that God has placed upon you? Will you honor the name of God in all that you do and say in both word and in deed? Well, we will look at Exodus 20, verse 7 in two parts this evening. Firstly, the command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then secondly, the warning, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So firstly, the command. What does it mean that we must not take the name of God in vain? Well, there is a plain meaning here that our Westminster standards help us understand. And to put it simply, God forbids using his name in any way that does not show reverence for who he is. This would mean that uh, we must not use God's name as an expletive or a curse. Neither may we make false promises by God's name. Nor can we use God's name to endorse anything that is contrary to his word. And of course, our culture today continually takes God's name in vain. Uh, God's name is continually blasphemed in our movies, in our music, in our conversations, at work. God's holy name is trampled upon. And this is a tragedy and And this is because we live in a materialistic age where the very notion of a divine God, of a transcendent God, a creator of the universe, the notion of God is laughable to the modern mind. But the irony is that, as the Psalms tell us, well the fool says in his heart that there is no God God who is enthroned in the heavens, he laughs at the vain schemes of the wicked. And so while God's holy name is chalked up to be nothing more than a way to express your anger by the world, we are called to revere God's name and remember that as the Apostle Paul writes, God will not be mocked. When we think about the way that God's name is reverenced throughout the Bible, we we come to appreciate something of the wonder and the majesty of God. We appreciate the very character of God. I mean, think of how Jesus 
teaches us to open in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus reminds us and and he orients our hearts when we pour them out before God. He starts with God's holy name, the name that ought to be worshipped and adored. And God's name is so holy, in fact, that uh, throughout Jewish tradition, people would, would be afraid to even utter his name on their lips. They were, they were desperately afraid to, to say the divine name for fear that they might somehow blaspheme him. And it's the same today with Orthodox Judaism. When they read the Pentateuch, wherever they find the four-letter name of God, which is actually on the stained glass window over there in the burning bush, whenever they see that four-letter name of God, they will say Adonai, which means Lord, for fear that they might uh, blaspheme God's holy and divine name. And because of this Jewish tradition, we actually aren't entirely sure how to pronounce this four-letter name. We, we used to think it was pronounced Jehovah, and that's a good expression, but uh, our, now our best approximation is that the divine name is pronounced Yahweh. And, and when you, you see that in your Bibles when we read in the Old Testament, the Lord, all capitalized, that, that demonstrates the four-letter name revealed in the burning bush. And we also know as Christians that the personal name of God, the name that, uh, that Orthodox Judaism is afraid to even say out loud, we know that that name has been revealed to us as Christians in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Ego a me. And Jesus' name is the only name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. So we have a saving knowledge through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that has been revealed to us in the incarnation. God dwelt with his people. And so we must show reverence to God's name because God's name reveals who he is. And in the old covenant, you would be put to death for blaspheming God's name. This is what we read in Leviticus 24. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. You might hear this and be startled, uh, but remember that this passage points to the ultimate reality of spiritual death, which is, by the way, far worse than physical death. Unless we repent and believe, we will surely perish and face eternal condemnation. And we remember that the only unforgivable sin is the sin against the Holy Spirit, the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the, uh, the blaspheming of God's name, the, the sin of unrepentance, hardening your heart and resisting the Spirit of God. It, it results in a much worse kind of death than the physical death 
uh, we see here in Leviticus 24. It, revol- it results in a spiritual death, the sin of unrepentance. Now within the command in Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There's another important aspect that we need to address and it has to do with hypocrisy. And, that, and in the original language when God says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, the word there has the connotation as well of lift up or bear. And so the command is also about revering and honoring God's name indeed. So it's not just about revering and honoring God's name in word by what we say, but also indeed how we bear the name of God as those who have been called and set apart. If we bear the name of God as those who are Christians, but our actions do not reflect the name of God, we, we cheapen the gospel and we make a mockery of Christ. If we bear the name of God and claim to be a Christian, but we partake of the deeds of darkness, we are like the scribes and Pharisees whom outwardly claim righteousness, but inwardly, Jesus says, their hearts are far from me. God's name is profaned if we claim to follow him, but the fruit of our life is carnal and worldly. We become like those whom the Apostle Paul warns of in Titus chapter one when he says this, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. And ultimately, if we bear God's name falsely, that is, if we uh, bear his name hypocritically and in unrepentance, in hardened unrepentance, we will be like those who come to Jesus on the day of judgment and who seek to claim his name but are found wanting. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And Jesus declares in Matthew 7 that these workers of lawlessness, these trees that do not bear good fruit will be cut down and they will be thrown into the fire. So how we carry God's name in this life is of eternal consequence. We bear God's name and we come and sing his praises each Lord's Day as we worship him. But what does our life look like throughout the week? Are we salt and light to the world? Do we let our light shine or do we hide it under a basket? Are we the hands and feet of Christ? Or do we leave the triune name that has been placed upon us at the door of the church when we leave each Sunday? The great Puritan minister, Stephen Charnock, writes this. He says, it is a sad thing to be Christians at a supper 
heathens in our shops, and devils in our closets. And how true this is. And it's truly sad because when unbelievers know we are Christians, but we don't live like it, unbelievers actually mock God on account of us, on account of our hypocrisy. We read of this sort of thing in Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, when Paul cites Isaiah 52, which says that the Gentiles blaspheme God because of our hypocrisy. I I remember growing up, I played in a Christian hockey league. That just goes to show you how prevalent ice hockey is in Canada, that you can have a Christian ice hockey league, right? Um, But I remember hearing unbelievers often shocked when they found out that we were a Christian hockey league because of our conduct, because of the way that we spoke. And the name of Christ was often not represented well uh, by our Christian hockey league. And of course, we, we all fall short in honoring God's name at times, and uh, none of us can do it perfectly. But the point is this. As we see in Romans 2, when we boast in the law of God with our words, in other words, when we boast of our righteousness, but we don't live it out, Paul says in Romans 2, we dishonor the name of God and our world notices. And Paul says God's name is blasphemed among unbelievers on account of our sin. Well, God gives us, secondly, a warning in this third word. He says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And put another way, this warning essentially boils down to this, that God will hold everyone guilty who takes his name in vain. Now, what does this mean for us? Does it mean that that blaspheming God's name, whether in word or in deed, even one time? Does it mean that even one time we will face eternal condemnation? Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's really the one unforgivable sin in the Bible, and this is the sin of unrepentance. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, is hardening one's heart and denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so ultimately this warning that we find in verse seven, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, this warning is a call to repentance. This is an altar call, if you will. Will you appear before God, who is both just and the justifier, will you appear before him on the last day and be found Guilty? Or will you appear before God claiming the righteousness of Christ that is freely offered and freely given to you in the gospel? This warning is a reminder that God does not overlook sin, right? God cannot overlook sin because of his perfect, holy character. And so God's wrath against sin 
It is either poured out upon Christ for your sake or upon you if you harden your heart in unrepentance. And praise God for his glorious grace and mercy that he would look upon us, poor and needy sinners as we are, and grant us everlasting life if we but receive and rest upon him. Well, as we come to a close this evening, I want to bring this home in three ways. I have three applications for the Christian life that I think are really helpful as we think through God's holy name. And here's the first one. In this life, in our pilgrimage, we will face persecution on account of the name. We will face persecution on account of God's name. As we go out into the world bearing witness to the name that has been sealed upon us in our baptism and bestowed upon us in God's benediction, we will face resistance. The Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 2 that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. And so we should not be surprised that when we bear witness to the triune name in both word and deed, we are spurned, we are ridiculed, we are rejected, we are reviled. Jesus reminds us that our reward will be great in heaven when we are reviled and persecuted on account of his name. And that doesn't mean that uh, we actively seek out persecution or we actively seek out resistance and the hostility of the world, but it means that when sufferings and trials come, which are promised to us in this Christian life, it means when those sufferings and trials come on account of God's holy name, we are called to count it as joy because when we suffer, On account of God's name, we, the Bible says, we are participating in the sufferings of Christ. We participate in the sufferings of Christ through our union with him. Well, here's the second point of application. God's holy name protects us. God's holy name protects you and I. In Proverbs 18, verse 10, we read that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is saved. And elsewhere in the Old Testament, God is spoken of as a refuge and a fortress, our present help in time of need. And so when we, when we think about this verse that speaks of the name of the Lord as a as a strong tower, as a place of refuge, as a fortress, an outpost in the midst of a hostile and fallen world. We remember that God's name is a protection. It is a protection upon us against the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
You bear the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the devil shudders. When God places his name upon you, you become dead to sin and alive to Christ. This means that you are no longer in bondage to sin. The devil has no stronghold over you. You are set free from the shackles and and the power of sin and Satan. And though he will still seek your life, God promises this picture of his spiritual protection. He promises that he will cover you with his wings, that he will not let your foot slip, that he will command his angels concerning you. Right, this is a picture of the protection that we find in the, the fortress that is God's name. It's a beautiful thing to consider as we think about the battle that we do uh, with the enemy as we wage war against spiritual forces of darkness. Here's the third point of application. God's name has a missional focus. God's name has a missional focus. We know that the name of Jesus is the only name that is given among men by which we can be saved and we know that God is calling to himself a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue and that will be reflected in heavenly Jerusalem, right? Where the people of God are gathered from all four corners of the earth. And here's what's amazing is that God is actually going about the work of making his name known to all peoples through you and through me. He's making his name known to all peoples through you and through me. This is what we read in Ezekiel 36. This is just an amazing picture of this amazing reality that God makes his name known through us. In Ezekiel 36, uh, when God promises to put his Holy Spirit in our hearts, God says this. He says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. What a tremendous thing. What a, what a beautiful picture of our calling as those who have the name of God placed upon us. God uses us to draw others to himself. He uses broken and weak sinners to magnify his exalted name. And he uses broken and needy sinners so that none of us can boast, so that God alone gets all the glory. And what an amazing joy and privilege we have to participate in this kingdom work as those who go out and who are sent forth into the world to bear witness to the triune name. Let us pray together that we would be faithful to bear witness to that great name so that all may confess that Christ is Lord. Let's pray together. Oh Lord God, we ask that you would grant us your spirit that we might honor your name in both word and deed. We praise you for our risen Lord and King who has taken away our guilt and shame.
so that we might have new life. Send us out now, Lord, we ask as your servants who bear your name. And may we always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within each of us. Oh Lord, these things we pray in your strong and powerful name. Amen.